Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I'm a former assistant director and your host. Quiet on the set. Film industry professionals discussing the Oscar nominees in their category of expertise. As regular listeners are aware, that's what we're doing here all month. And if you're a new listener, welcome to the podcast. I hope you'll enjoy it. This is episode six. Today, we're talking about costume design, and I'm happy to welcome back returning guests. First, Helen Wong, your credits include Station Eleven, Beef, and The Penguin, which should be premiering later this year. Welcome back to Below the Line. It's good to see you again. Next, Allison J. Brown, your credits as a costume designer include Outlaw Chronicles, Hell's Angels, and a bunch of indie features, such as Dr. Brinks and Dr. Brinks. Great to see you again. Thank you. Well, I've been looking forward to this. This is always an interesting episode. Glad you both could be here. Listeners, you can learn more about Allison and Helen at imdb.com. Search for Below the Line, find this episode, and click on the names of my guests. Let's get into it. The 2023 nominees for costume design are Barbie, Killers of the Flower Moon, Napoleon, Oppenheimer, and Poor Things. We're going to discuss them in that order, and spoilers are possible, so consider this awarding. One last reminder before we get started, we like to recognize our below-the-line compatriots by name, even though I am occasionally mispronouncing those names. Helen and Allison, both of you, feel free to correct me if I get something wrong. Let's start things off with Barbie, costume design by Jacqueline Durant. I was listening to an interview uh, with Jacqueline, and she's one of my favorite designers. Um, I think everything that she does is handled with such care and you could tell from her designs that she has such an amazing wealth of knowledge with um, textiles and construction um, but I think the fun thing about Barbie in this list is there is sort of like a historical research that went into it which is the Barbie research from Mattel and her trying to recreate these like doll-like clothing into life-size um and she had a very interesting interview where she was saying that when she was creating the barbie outfit she was thinking about everything coming in sets for barbie and i just thought that was such fun in terms of like how coordinated everything was especially at the beginning of the movie i um appreciated the costumes in this movie also because for you know a 2023 movie, they celebrated different body shapes and races finally for the men and women. So to just cater to all the different sizes, I just I just really noticed it um, in the movie, like even Barbies and wheelchairs and different sizes. So I just I just appreciated those like very representational and all the costumes still like very much still on like, you know, Barbie brand. So this is an interesting film to me where, Helen, as you mentioned, there's actual research or things to look to, but you also don't want it to be a parody or a cartoon. Like we've got a real message in this film and there's all of this sort of toy space that's actually helping to forward that message. What kind of challenges, if either of you have been given this movie, do you think that involved? I mean, I think it's always trying to toe the line between things that look too costumey and things that might look a little bit more organic, which I think they address really well in this movie because in the beginning, 
they were built as sort of like a Barbie universe because it, it exists within the production design of this Barbie universe, the Barbie land. And so when they do make, you know, coordinated outfits and things that are extremely heightened and designed, it doesn't look weird because it exists on this production plane. And then throughout the movie, you could tell that her silhouette slowly changes, especially as she enters into the real world and then into the third act of the of the um, of the movie. Um, her silhouette became less sort of fifties feminine into um, just more streamlined and a line sort of dresses. Um, the patterns got simpler, um, even though they maintained a lot of the color. So I think they sort of shifted it very well as the story uh progressed but again you know that's something that we could talk about throughout this whole series is like how costume design exists within production design and as well as cinematography and then addressing sort of the director's intent because even with research and you know all like it doesn't matter whether it's period or contemporary or sci-fi or, you know, um, fantasy, everything, you get a brief from the director before you enter into um, designing. And so I think, you know, in terms of like the tone of the movie, what Greta Gerwig was trying to do along with the production design and cinematography, I think they sort of shifted it seamlessly throughout the whole entire movie from entering into something heightened into something more grounded. I would agree with that. Um, it's funny that you say like you don't want it to look too costumey skid because like Helen was saying, because it lives in that universe, they all look like doll to like doll clothes and doll toys, but it makes sense within that reality so that that there's no like fighting within that world. And everything looked very like obviously custom made and fit to each body. Um, the color palette, I think fit really well I know that I think they I think the production team ran out of that color pink because they had to paint like all the sets that exact pink so they were like crazily ordering it to try to cover the whole set um and I can kind of imagine that in the same way like just dyeing all that fabric having a lot of these prints made to match the original dolls yeah I thought it was extremely successful and also just for me, like being a Barbie fan as like a little kid and then just seeing it on a body moving kind of blew my mind. It made me so happy. I really love this movie. I think this would have to be one of my favorite movies this year, um, like hands down. I mean, this is Oppenheimer, but so different in terms of types of movies. Uh, but yeah, I would say extremely successful in that way. Also, it's just nice to see her do something like this because... She's made like 40 films as a costume designer. She's been nominated, you know, um, like nine times. She's she's not, this is like not unknown territory for her. She's definitely won. But she usually kind of gets nominated for all those really like high period films like Atonement and Anna Karenina. So this was nice to see such like a, like a comedy in her repertoire of costumes and that she's still like on top and killing it and it's great and she can honestly do anything if she just researches everything about it and she's yeah and she delivers so i was really happy to see her do this movie you know when we were talking about this movie in terms of production design if i recall correctly my guest also said that the production designers were also known for more period piece work in the past and i'm curious as with what you mentioned allison about uh jacqueline's previous nominations and wins 
whether there is something about people who are specialized in area, like what they might've brought to this, that maybe is counterintuitive, but makes sense when you see it. I, I think there is a thread. Um, <laughs> I think there's a thread um, that kind of ties it all because period film, obviously you have to make a lot of those things from scratch. There are a lot of made to order. And for Barbie, it also had to be made. So she's just so good at building costumes. Um, Contemporary films, obviously, you can make things, too. Also, you can buy things. But I think because she has such a strong history in building things from scratch, and like you said, Helen, knowing textiles, and she had to, like, replicate these textiles to match specific dolls, she... She she has a strength in that. She's very strong in that. Her team is strong in that. She works with the same people over and over again, too. So um, I think that was a reason why probably also she was doing this film and it was so successful. I think also there's this misconception of like costume designer having like niche because it is true that once you get hired and known for something, people tend to hire you over and over and over for something, you know? But I think people don't view directors that way or writers, you know, like like if you're a director, you could direct anything. If you're a writer, you could write anything. And so I think it's a little bit unfair sometimes to to pigeonhole costume designers. All costume design from period to contemporary to all the niche things, they all require the same skill, which is interpreting the director's need for the movie. Uh, understanding character, you know, some basic fundamental needs as understanding silhouette, period costumes, textiles, and the ability, like understanding how to make costumes. But I think that that is across the board on everything. Um, and I feel like there is sort of an unfairness when people think about like, you know, contemporary costumes versus something that's period, like one requires more skill than the other. It doesn't really, um, because the same sort of basics of it is something all costume designers have and apply to everything that they do and every project that they do. Yeah, I would agree. The pigeonholing is very unfair. I do think, unfortunately, people are hired based on that because production tends to like to see something already made to know someone can deliver, even if they are qualified to do everything that's just uh, I think part of something unfair within the industry you know I know directors friends of mine that are like kind of stuck doing the horror the horror world because they're only known for horrors or comedy writers just kind of keep like being requested for comedies even though they could write like a drama um and that's also kind of how their agent pitches them so it's that it's it's hard to sometimes break free of that, even if you are obviously very talented in all of it. It's just, I, I do kind of see that across the board, people getting stuck in things, um, like directors getting stuck in the commercial world when they want to do features or getting stuck in television design and then not breaking into features. Sometimes it's a unfair, um, unfair blessing. Like you're glad to get the work, but then you kind of want to pivot. And sometimes people don't always allow you to. I think it's interesting about the um, pigeonholing as well. And also, yeah, that directors can sometimes uh, have to meet certain expectations. And perhaps our next film, as an aside to our conversation, is an example of that. Uh, Because we're going to pivot to talk about Killers of the Flower Moon, costume designed by Jacqueline West. 
I mean, I love this film. It's there's something. I mean, first of all, they had so much money to make it. And so there's a lot of <laughs> sort of atmospheric things that, you know, if you're just speaking about costumes, but it it goes throughout the film that they got to do that you normally wouldn't get to do on a film, especially a period film with like a lesser budget. I think it's also amazingly commendable for the amount of research that went into it. And it's actually from all the interviews that I've listened to with the directors and also production designers and Jacqueline West herself um, when they talk about this in terms of this is being one of, even though, you know, there are several period films in the movie, this is the one where the brief from the director was, let's stay as true to reality as possible. Let's do sort of the culture and the history of it justice. And so um, the research and the costumes sort of came from that place where else I feel like with Oppenheimer, there was the costumes were made more for an emotional aspect of the movie rather than the, you know, the truth of what these periods look like and Napoleon um, I think with everything Ridley Scott does is a little bit heightened in every aspect of the work. So I think just in terms of killers, it's just amazing how they brought the research and the culture into life. Um, and I think she, you know, got people to remake textiles and reweave all those blankets. And, you know, I, I just think there's an amazing amount of researching and also getting resources to make a movie like that. Because I think one of the things that she did say was, you know, like, because there's never been a narrative about those days, you can't, there's nothing to rent, there's nothing to buy. It's literally everything from research was made from scratch to create this world, um, which I find particularly interesting about the challenge of making something about a culture that's not usually put on the big screen. Yeah, I, I really appreciated all the the custom textiles. When you watch it, there's just you can see all like all of the wool and just you know, natural fiber wovens are just they have so much more of a body than like all these cheap synthetics that are made now. Um there's like a warmth to them. They're really they're made very well. Um and this was this was made during like a really hard time. This was made during COVID. And you know, I know some people that worked on it and it was just such an isolating film because in between takes, each actor would just go back to their individual car and stay away from everybody. And then they would come back during the scenes. Um, so everybody had to just keep their distance. And when I watched it, like knowing all of these like weird precautions while this was being filmed and then watching it, I never felt that. Um, it just felt like everyone was always together and just breathing on each other and just you know, it was, it didn't have this like weird isolating feel, even though I know that was going on while they were making it. And, and with that, like even the fabrics and all the textiles, um, they were just, there was just so much care. And I know that the suit maker, um, I think he's like an Italian suit maker or something. And everything was just painstakingly made from scratch. Each fitting was just, you know, every suit was like tailored to each person. And it was just, it was just really nice to watch just like for my eyes and it was like a history book. So that was nice. That was nice for it to come to life on screen. I think also her working with local artisans was a big deal that I think 
you know, sometimes it depends on the scale of the movie, whether you have the opportunity to do that in terms of like hiring local artisans to make it. I think that's also amazing in a way because local artisans might not understand um, how a production schedule works and for them to sort of coordinate all that is a feat in itself. Um, you know, I think this film is amazing because there's so many things that you've never seen before that's a big part of American history. Um, and, you know, even like the blankets, she said there were like, because of their um, consultant that was on it, there's eight ways to wear that blanket. You know, the coats that they wear for their wedding, something that you've never seen before has this amazing story of being granted um, by Thomas Jefferson for them. And they took this coat and made it into something celebratory uh, versus, you know, a thing of history might, um, of like military might. And so I just think that I particularly like this film because it showed costume in a way that I've never seen before. And there's a psychological element to it and a cultural element to it that I've never seen before. Um, and so, I mean, if I had to pick that, this would be my pick for best costumes. Now I'm reminded about something that I think it, you guys educated me about it on this show, maybe a couple of years ago, but I think we were talking about a period movie. It might've been Cyrano where they had period looks, but because of all the action involved, they couldn't use original materials. It had to look period, but be updated in a way that could accommodate the action that was involved. Now, this movie didn't have quite that level of action, but Helen, when you're talking about going back to original design, was there a modernization factor here that had to be accommodated as well? Or did this allow for, a, if you will, purer representation of the original materials? I mean, for Cyrano, I know that they kept a lot of the silhouettes, but they used different fabrication for it. That was not true to the time period, which is why it had a particular quality about it. For this, I think, because they had everything sort of like woven and especially the weight of the textiles um, woven and made to its original like um, form, I think it allows the actors to sort of more transport back into time and use use those elements you know those limitations to sort of inform their act their actions instead of the other way around i'm sure that you know if there were stunts and things in this movie that they did have to accommodate but i think majority of the movie sounds like the the form of it informed the actors and so they worked within the limits of 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 it uh versus the other way around but i think that goes back to sort of the original brief from the director you know if he wanted something where it was cheated or made or made to feel different for that time period she would have designed something very different but because the brief was to stay true to history i think everyone participating sort of allowed the way something in historical context looks to inform the actions that they have. And I think, you know, comparing that to Napoleon, I think it's all, it's also something where the silhouettes were very true to the time period. And so it did make actors stand and behave in a very different way than they would in contemporary costumes. I know I know that was really important too for the actors. Like Leonardo like demanded like those teeth 
um, and they were like the same exact teeth of, of, of the person. So, um, yeah, I think they were trying to handle it like in such a professional and respectful way that, yeah, I think I would agree with that. And Allison, you mentioned actually noticing the materials as well. So it came through not just from the costume design, but in the way it's affecting the entire story to Helen's point as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I'm a, I come from a background of textile design and I weave and I knit and I, you know, um, paint on looms and stuff. So as a weaver, I can really like respect it and appreciate it. Um, yeah. Like I said, it was just eye candy in that movie too. So yeah, they did a very good job. And when you've teased the next film on our list, that's Napoleon costume design by Yanti Yates and Dave Crossman. Uh, yeah. I mean, I saw it yesterday actually to prepare for this because I that was the only thing I haven't seen. Um, and it's beautiful. I mean, the silhouettes that they try to accomplish, especially with the military uniform, how exact that is. You, it, it's like it's it's weird, Skid, because sometimes you know when you watch. I I think when people watch period films, they don't understand that a lot of period films are adjusted for the modern eye. So the silhouette and the and the textiles and stuff are changed for the modern eye for a character. Um, but in this one, I think they really leaned into what that time period like look like and um, the construction of it um, in the silhouette was so special to me. I mean, I've watched this time period, you know, there are many movies on it. I've never seen it represented as exact as that. Um, it was any other year, I would say this movie would win. I mean, but I don't know if it'll win this year just because of the subject matter of the other films. Um, and then just like the way they, you know, they also did Killers and in Killers had a lot of similarities because a lot of the braiding, a lot of the embroidery, those things don't exist anymore. You know, they actually had to find embroiderers. I think she's in an Afghanistan or something that could like, do the type of embroidery that she needed to do. I mean, I, for me, that's like a costume designer's dream of far reaching of getting exactly what you want, um, of not cheating, you know, in a way. Um, so yeah, it was just brilliant. And the color palette, the way they constructed the coats, the women's costume, the women's costumes I felt were a little bit cheated to make it a little bit more sensual. But aside from that, um, it was just gorgeous. Yeah, it was a very, very uh, gorgeous film. Also, I just loved that when you like look at like old paintings of Napoleon and then you do like a side by side of the movie, they're just so similar in terms of the color, the silhouette. And, you know, and Phoenix is taller than actual Napoleon was, but just because they held true to like, you know, the jacket height versus the pant and where it hits on the body, it just he kind of like seemed shorter in the movie and also just it. I thought that was kind of successful. And also I think the combination of having these two designers work side by side was just really great because Yates works with um, Billy Scott, you know, and she like won for Gladiator before, like they have a history, a work history and a compatibility uh, working together. And then David is, is more known for like a little bit more like specialty. Um, he He's really known for like military costuming, um, whether or not, you know, it's his, passion or he just likes it you know when he did batman it was more for the bat suit so for this one he for napoleon he's more part of the 
of the military attire. I mean, I don't know the exact like separating of how they 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 designated designing what, but I think having someone with like a strong military background um, with Yates was just probably a really great marriage because it it because it was portrayed really well and successful, and they were really huge days of in terms of all of the soldiers on set and um you know the background i remember i was listening to phoenix talk about it and it was just like a really overwhelming experience um and how really kind of comes at it very cool and like normalizes it even though it's such a big big production and they spend so much money every day and have real people acting in it and um yeah i uh yeah, it was just like a painting coming to life. So I loved it too. It was great. The movie itself, the movie itself wasn't my favorite, but I, I, I think it was successful in terms of costume design. Can I tell you the hats in this movie? Best hats in any movie ever. It's, <laughs> it's so beautiful. And then also, it, you know, really, Scott, he's literally one of my favorite directors because I just feel like. He knows, he understands his craft so well. He's very fun. And I always divide directors up into hats or no hats. You either really love a hat or you do not love a hat. And for me, for her to be able to work with a hat loving director like him, that's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah. You could tell he wasn't afraid of anything. He wasn't afraid of normalizing. He didn't want to normalize things. They really like exaggerated some, some, some of the silhouettes and really like, went for it and I don't know I I just I just love that you know like like showing the audience what you could give them versus like oh being afraid of what the audience might think of your film you know I think there's a lot of courage in both the filmmaking and then also in the costume design to be like we will show you what this looks like you can tell he also just appreciates his craftspeople. Yeah. He appreciates the process. He's old school like that. Um, he respects everyone's time and energy and how it's made. And uh, yeah, he's not like relying on a lot of CG like some other act, um, directors do. Um, not to say that's like a bad or good thing, but you can just tell in the difference of like how the movie's made. Yeah. And as like a maker too, I really appreciate someone that appreciates the time that things are made. The fourth film on our list is Oppenheimer, costume design by Ellen Mirajnik. I mean, Ellen Mirajnik is like amazing. <laughs> All these people are amazing. Ellen Mirajnik is is really amazing. Um, also, it's like everything she does looks amazing and terrific and so well crafted. I think. I was listening to Ella Mirajnik talk about cost, like period costume on this. And I was, I think I was just really blown away by what they were talking about in the fact that this was Oppenheimer's like uh, perspective, the whole movie. And so they really wanted it to feel on parallel with how, with the emotional qualities of the film. And so they purposely tried to make things more organic and grounded and not so separated by oh this is the 30s this is the 40s you know that type of more sort of like honed in exaggerated um compartmentalized period um and i think the detail that they went into to make oppenheimer suits into sort of like a more workwear element when he was um in new mexico and 
you know, the little um, sort of like new uh, Southwest belt buckles that they use really made Oppenheimer, but also it's really hard, I think, to do period and especially that time period, men's costumes, because, you know, men wear a lot of suits. There wasn't a lot of differentiation for that. And I always think that in a film like that, to really find the nuanced details of like period costume, like, for example, suits of how a lapel looks, how the role of a lapel looks, how many buttons are on the suit, if the suit is wool or if it's twill, really has like an unconscious emotional effect on the audience. But to do that, I feel like there's, you have to have such a wealth of knowledge of how to tweak those little things to make the characters different. And so I think that's one of the parts of the film that I think was especially impressive. Also the tonal stuff in terms of making costumes match an emotional tone rather than the costume sort of existing as costumes. Yeah, I would agree with that. Men's suiting is, that's, I don't know. I mean, I feel like that's also like kind of like a beautiful, subtle specialty thing too. Um, Also just heavily relying on, I mean, not heavily relying on, but I feel like it's so helpful when an actor isn't wearing the costume, you know, when the, and the actor and the costume isn't wearing the actor, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like Celine Murphy really is comfortable with wearing those suits and he believes it. And um, I, I just wasn't distracted by anything. I also think the color palette for the suits during that time just really blended into all those um, the sky and the ground and just it just it seemed like earth itself like they were just coming up from the ground with all the different browns and the sand colors and the blues of the sky it just I don't it just it, once again for me and like the way they edited it in terms of the color uh it just overall was a very successful film to watch it also was one of my favorite ones and I remember walking out of the theater and saying that's a perfect movie I also think it's one of his best movies that he's made skid I'd I mean, I feel like you would agree with that. Yeah, Alison, I agree with you. I this all the pieces came together in Oppenheimer in a way that I'll admit it is one of my favorite films of the year overall. Also, good hat. <laughs> it's also going to demand it, isn't it? She said they went to three different hat makers: one in London, one in New York, and then one in Los Angeles to get the right consistency of the hat. That the hat was not a fedora, it was not a pork pie, it was not something that they really created specifically for Killian and then also for the character um, where the brim was bigger, the hat um, sort of height was smaller. And then it had to be in a fabric that um, Christopher Nolan could sort of like mold on set so he could shoot the actor, which I thought was kind of amazing. But again, another movie where they could go to three different hat makers, make three different hats and for it to work. A lot of productions do not have that, um, have that luxury, you know? And so you have to really appreciate the ones where they do give you the time and the prep to develop something so specific. And then it's so specific to a point where the, where that the audience don't notice. I think that's the key. I think the other aspect of that, that you alluded to where, and I've heard this in other discussions as well, that the movie is Oppenheimer's perspective of his life and experience. Yeah. 
you're doing something different than is real, but then you also don't have the real to lean on. You need to know what you're trying to achieve beyond just representation in these cases. Yeah, which is why it's very important to like understand what the director is sort of looking for, because he's also telling that to his cinematographers and then also his production designers. And so the trifecta sort of really needs to work together in that uh, case. And I think, I think it was just so beautifully, beautifully done. Well, I think that's a good segue into the fifth film on our list, Poor Things, costume designed by Holly Waddington, where very clearly now we have a vision where production design, costume design are working together with what the director is trying to achieve. I think that's the thing about like audiences when they view those things is because like, you know, the previous movies, they kind of work seamlessly together. This movie was definitely about like heightened visuals as an element, a narrative component to the story, um, which you don't exactly get, which is also the, when you do get one, it's really, really fun. Um, I think she, the, the, one of the things that she mentioned that I thought was like, speaking of, you know, a project that had less money, this obviously has less, a lot less money. Um, When they, what they did with it was extraordinary. But the fact that because of the black and white elements of it, that she, that that was decided a little bit later on, um, closer to filming, that she didn't have the luxury of remaking a bunch of things to sort of address the black and white element of the movie. And I've heard this before, you know, from Mark Bridges when he did um, The Artist and recently uh, Mastro, maestro um is that you know when you do things in black and white you're looking for high contrast it's not actually the color of the garment um so you do have to sort of test it to see what the high contrast is one of the things that she did say that was very interesting was she did not get to do things that are high contrasted but um what really worked was the texture element that really helped with the black and white which i thought was kind of really um i think special because it's sort of like you know, you don't get everything that you wish for on a production that is more limited, but you can sort of address it in different ways. So if you can't get high contrast, you could get high texture and those type of things kind of inter-exchange and uh, make something look pop and look amazing on screen. That can serve the purpose. I I think the reason why I talk about it is like the extraordinary ability of costume designers to problem solve on a dime that should be talked about too because people change their minds a lot we don't get to make everything that we want on screen we don't have enough prep time and um to be able to problem solve is due to the credit of uh costume designers and their ingenuity um quick question what uh in terms of black and white for board things what what are you talking about specifically there's black and white elements in some of the uh flashbacks Oh, okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, it's it's so funny because that col- that movie, I just like see color and like these beautiful pastels. I think I like completely overlooked that there was black and white elements to the whole thing. I think at the beginning it was all black and white, and then when she became like when narratively, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Up, it became colorful, which I obviously it was a terrific choice in terms of narrative. I think it was probably hard for her, you know, to sort of address those things when they came in later. But I think the solve was wonderful. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, for me, I really loved this film because there was like no time period, but a time period associated with it. And I do love when things are historical, but I also just love when 
like you can look at something and not really know when it's supposed to be going on. Yeah. But also it's taking you to a place and like you were saying in terms of that trifecta, because the whole time I was just like, God, they were so lucky having the production design and costume design, like just all these things work together in harmony, which is so hard to do when everything's happening in real time when they're trying to make the sets you're trying to figure out how, what costumes you're going to make and what colors how many multiples you need where are you surfacing the fabric if it's going to be dyed like it's just so many things to coordinate so well and also like you were saying because it's a movie on a budget that's even harder because it's like that good fast better best or whatever that saying is like you know because there's always something has to give and that compromise is always just like so soul crushing when you're trying to make it good um, and you're trying to do it in a timely manner. Uh, and I just think that also Emma was just so great. She just was so I didn't even realize it was her. I mean, obviously, I know it's her, but because with the makeup and the hair and these eyebrows and that long, long hair that it just took you out of like her as like as an actress and just she became this like character and fully believable and um i just think once again it was really successful and i also like that for me it was also super contemporary um it was like very fashion forward um and just also i loved the way that she picked in terms of the the skirt that kind of just draped on her all the time like these little shorts just like i just and like these more structured elements in terms of these like sleeves and and shoulders but then like the softness in the shorts and like the lack of pants also the lack of clothes in this whole film but also being such a costume movie but also her being so naked all the time um which i think is super funny uh juxtaposition but i just i loved it i felt like it was it was art it was sculpture moving around on screen while she danced and walked funny and was becoming human and sentient and i just think yeah i i liked it a lot i wanted to love this movie more because i just was when i initially saw the previews i was like oh my god i'm gonna love this movie but uh, i think it was, i think it was great i think it was a great story and i think she did a good job and i'm also happy for this costume designer you know she doesn't have a big history in costume designing but she's also worked on really big films like as an acd um so she's kind of like a protege to these other bigger well-known designers so to finally have her own kind of movie for her own like self to just just really like let her wings spread I just I was just really happy to see that like oh that's so nice and refreshing not to have you know I mean Jacqueline like they're all great people they deserve it they did a good job but it's nice to have some new people in the mix in terms of nominations yeah I agree with that I also think you know with the cinematography of it all it leans to this asymmetry that happens throughout the film which I think is highlighted by what you were saying with the very structured tops and then the shorts the shorts are very they infantize you know any character and I feel like that was sort of like a genius um, decision on their part to utilize that um and then the other element I think that they use really well is color. Sometimes I feel like color isn't used enough in narrative to sort of tell a story, but they really did select, you know, those beautiful pastels, the marigolds, because she was the only one in yellow throughout the whole film. The fact that, um, you know, when they went back to her past, her palette got darker. When she became a student, you know, it was black. 
And I think all those things are just these elements that are floating around in um, an audience's sub subconscious that they don't even know that they have. And for a costume designer, you know, they, they do it all the time for a movie that really tease that out of them to make them feel something so visceral with these sort of decisions um, is really fantastic. And like Allison said, you know, having new blood in Oscar nominations is always good. Yeah, just because you you do want new people uh, involved with new perspectives. Yeah, I think this is like super refreshing for me to see. And also like you were saying, the shorts, I just think it was just such a smart move to have that as a silhouette. I mean, having a kid and watching him learn how to walk and being able to showcase her legs, like stiffly walk. I feel like if she was held down to the ground with like a heavy, heavy silhouette and a, and a dress just dragging on the floor, she would almost seem like, like, like old in terms of like going reverse in terms of not knowing how to walk, but just being able to see her legs, how stiff they are. It just made it so much more believable in terms of like her being this like infant brain learning how to walk in this woman's body. Um, I thought it was just so genius. I just I just loved it. Also, it was just so unusual. You know what I mean? Um, just seeing that those silhouettes, I, I just loved it. I, I loved, but it all worked together. Nothing was fighting itself. I just and it also was like very simple, but over the top. Like she always kind of had like the same. Um, things married to each other in terms of like the blouses and these like oversized sleeve jackets, but then like the little skirts and then like the, she always paired it in like a very similar way. Um, so I just think, yeah, it was so, so refreshing to watch. Also, I wanted to wear it. <laughs> and I love when I just kind of want to touch everything and wear it when I watch it. You know, Allison, when you mentioned um, Emma Stone specifically, it reminded me of uh, Cruella, actually, where we did have, again, fantastical costumes and that she was really game for. And she did a great job in that movie as well. And I wonder if either of you can speak a little bit to that collaboration between costume designer and actor and how that can make or break some of these challenges. I think when you have an actor that allows you to explore, don't mind being in different silhouettes. I think that's the collaborations that you like. You know, it just depends on the actor. If an actor is more of a brand and they, they you could tell from their movies that they tend to be in the same silhouette, they're playing different characters, but the silhouettes stay the same. That's a different type of challenge, um, but that's a different type of movie, you know. Um, but to really design a character, I think the actor has to be really open. Also, it is sort of a myth that you can make an actor wear something that they don't want to wear because unless you have a director that they feel is trumps sort of their power as an actor and how they move through production um you can never make an actor wear what they don't want want to wear unless production kind of steps in or the director steps in and and does that and so i think that if you get a good collaboration, it's the funnest thing in the whole entire world. And, you know, those fittings are so fun and your world clicks open and they give you all these details of things that they think of that you would never think of because you're not doing that type of character work. Um, and obviously you feel great when you put them in something and they feel their character and, you know, you sort of, you, you like, you have that chemistry 
And then the costume is the physical manifestation of that and it's on screen. But it really does depend on who the actor is, if it's a project where they want to be themselves or not themselves, and um, and sort of how big the director is in a way. Yeah, and that collaboration with the actor, I I usually I like to welcome it because in the fitting, I want them to also believe wholeheartedly that they are now this person, and so. I appreciate when when they're when they're open, but also I don't mind when they bring something else to the table that maybe I that didn't cross my mind, or if it's something really important for that actor that they need to wear in order to feel like that new person. Um, I I think those fittings can become like a painting together, um, and a give and take and a conversation. Uh, sometimes before the fitting and also during the fitting. And after, because it just takes time to really for it to all come together. And I never want to force an actor to wear something that if they don't believe it, then it's just never going to be successful in terms of um, it coming across across the screen. They won't feel right in their body unless it's supposed to be something that is restricting them in a way uh, for their for their performance. But I always I always like those kind of conversations and just see what they have Um and it's also funny sometimes like the more the veterans, they like to kind of challenge you and see like how well you did your homework or if it's something that they, that your take might be better than theirs, which is always interesting. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's always a conversation though, I feel. And then it's, even if they're super green, it, it's always a conversation. And also I like them being a part of the process too. You want them to get excited about their costume. You want them to enjoy coming into those fittings and working with you, you know? So it's it's a give and take. I mean, the whole thing is a collaboration. It's just like, like as they say, it takes a village. It really does. So, And also just the director. You want the director to trust you too. Um, so then you have some, some legs in terms of just working and having your own vision because that's why they hired you. They should trust you and your judgment too. Well, these are five great films this year in terms of costume design i'm back and forth about which is my favorite just from the conversation but i want to ask you both as i do every year are there other movies of 2023 that caught your eye in terms of costume design not that it has to knock somebody off this list but other films that you think would be part of this conversation i think maestro just because mark bridges did such an amazing job but also he did appear his pure costume was so organic it was that's really really hard to do to take something across and not make it and it doesn't look costumey at all but so specific to that time period and then being so organic in the process of it um and he wasn't heavy-handed he's never heavy-handed but he definitely was not heavy-handed and it's just sort of trying to find the right amount of interest um versus you know sort of paired backness and sometimes I feel like that's hard because as costume designers we obviously want the costumes to to really be the focus but sometimes you have to pair it back because it has to work seamlessly with an actor with the scene you know um and so I think I think I'm surprised I didn't get nominated because it was really amazing but again you know really great work sometimes um it's not you know when people vote it's not the most maybe exciting to them. But for me, I always try to watch for the things I feel like 
is the hardest to do and an even hand and just overall sort of like paired back good taste goes a long way in a movie. I would agree. Uh, Maestro was a good one. There's just not enough space in the nominations and uh, Mark is great. And then I was going to say Wonka. Uh, I liked, I appreciated that movie. Like I said, I watched it with my son. So he was over the moon about it, which just, I love to see a happy audience. So also maybe I became more into it. Um, but also I just think, you know, I really appreciate those costumes as well in terms of like, we were talking about, you know, Cyrano, if it's a high stunt movie, this Wonka is a high, like heavily, it's a musical. So it's heavily in terms of dancers, obviously you need to stretch everything. And yeah, I appreciate that movie too. Um, that's the first one that comes off the top of my head. Wonka, I appreciate it. Um, what are the movies? Gosh, in terms of 2023. Those are good examples. Listen, I know people are already just trying to catch up on their Oscars. We don't want to overload them, but uh, <laughs> those were the creator should have gotten nominated. It was one of some of the best sci-fi designs I've ever seen, but they went under the radar. Oh, that's another thing I would want to say. If your movie does not do well, the costume design, production design, none of it would get nominated. And so I think when people view Oscars in terms of what is best, they should understand that there is a limitation to it. Because what is best is usually what's in the, if your if your movie is the best, and then you get nominated for the best movie. But it doesn't mean that our, all these artists and head of departments, you know, if they work on a movie that doesn't do so well at the box office, that they, they sacrifice any less in their life to get it done, or there's less thought to it, or there's less work to it. So I think having that, if you're going to appreciate craft, you know, it's not only about the Oscars. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I was surprised when I was like looking at all these designers, how many of them haven't been nominated. I was like, wow. You know, also it's just in terms of like, if it's a feature or a TV show, I mean, TV now, I mean, that's basically like, those can be movies and they, I respect them just as equally. So yeah, it's kind of hard when, um, yeah, if they're not nominated for best picture, it kind of steers the boat a certain way yeah well we're certainly focused on the oscars here make no mistake below the line we're encouraging people to watch everything <laughs> tv movies and appreciate all the crafts uh certainly what you guys have shared uh helps uh people see it through a different lens on that note we're going to call it a wrap really great having you guys here thanks again thank you so much Skid. thank you Skid. always a pleasure Listeners, I always appreciate your feedback. You'll find my contact info at our website, blowtheline1word.biz. That's B-I-Z. We are now halfway through our Oscar episodes, and there's a lot more fun in the queue. My closing credits, as always, thanks to Curtis Five for our music and John Juan for our logo. The logo is available on t-shirts, mugs, and stickers at redbubble.com. To all of our listeners, I appreciate you. Please rate us wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends. Thanks again from Below the Line.